Before we get started, a public service announcement for those of you who live in the Chicago area. You can help Chicago Outreach as they work to make this holiday season special for families that are less fortunate. Schedule your donation drop-off and meet their team at Extra Space Storage, 1000 East 95th Street. All donors will receive a confirmation email with drop-off instructions. Chicago Outreach is providing a pop-up shopping experience for our neighbors who need a little assistance this holiday and are asking our community to donate gently used items for the men, women, children, and infants. They're kindly requesting all donations to be registered and scheduled according to the details in the link I'll have posted in the show's notes. Items desperately needed include coats, clothing, shoes, hats, gloves, scarves, infant clothing, books, toys, toiletries, PPE, and more. The event will be on December 11th from 12 p.m. to 4 p.m. at June's Teas and Things, 5565 West 95th Street, Oaklawn, Illinois. You can make a difference to those in need this holiday season. And now, I love a heist movie. Ocean's Eleven, The Hot Rock, Stanley Kubrick's The Killing, Chicago native Michael Mann's Thief, and Heat? I could go on and on. I mention this because today's episode involves a heist that happened here in Chicago in 1974. This is the story of the great Purillator Armored Express heist. I'm Tommy Henry, and this is the Chicago History Podcast. of the Chicago Tribune opened their Tuesday, October 22nd, 1974 newspaper to see the joyous headline, Bears Top Pack. In their 111th meeting, the Bears prevailed over the Green Bay Packers 10-9 on Monday Night Football. The other big headline in that paper, Vault Missing 3.8 Million with an appropriate exclamation point. For reference, $3.8 million is roughly $21.5 million in today's money. Here's how this story played out. Shortly after 1 a.m. on Monday, October 21st, 1974, a heat alarm on the control console at the Wells Fargo Central Alarm Company began blinking. One of the two money vaults at the nearby Purillator Armored Express building at 127 West Huron Street, was indicating excessive temperatures. The alarm company notified the Chicago Fire Department and Purillator. Firemen arrived and were met at the door by 28-year-old Ralph Marrera, a Purillator guard armed with a shotgun. Marrera initially told the firemen he had not seen any sign of trouble and could not let them in as he was not authorized to do so. When Russell E. Hart, the regional vice president and branch manager of Purillator Armored Express, arrived at 1.30 a.m., he opened the vault as firemen stood by. Heat and a cloud of thick smoke filled the area. Inside the vault were gasoline bombs attached to fuses. Fortunately, the lack of air in the sealed vault had quickly extinguished the flames and kept many of the bombs from igniting. It was Obvious to all present, a theft had occurred, 
and the fires were likely set to destroy evidence. It was also pretty clear that the persons who accessed the vault did so without damaging the vault and likely had the combination. The headline on the Wednesday, October 23rd, Chicago Tribune read, Two hunted by FBI in $3.8 million theft. Under that, Vault Guard is third suspect. The FBI had issued a nationwide alert for two Chicago men, Charles Marzano, 42, of Cicero, Illinois, and Peter J. Gushy, 45, of Oaklawn, Illinois, and a 1974 green Ford Econoline van. Marzano had been arrested in February of 1973 in connection with an $800,000 theft at Tiara Jewelry Manufacturers on Oakton Street in Evanston. Gushy was described as a, quote, self-styled master criminal, end quote. It would be kind of cool to have that on a business card. As for the vault guard, Ralph Marrera, well, he was one of 25 employees of the company given a lie detector test, a test he failed. He quickly got himself a lawyer. The lawyer wisely told him not to take a second lie detector test. Marrera was subsequently suspended for violation of company rules. He continued to deny any involvement in the crime and refused government protection. More information came out about lie detector failing security guard Ralph Marrera, and it was not good. Marrera had worked for the Wells Fargo Security Agency at, wait for it, Tiara Jewelry Manufacturers on Oakton in Evanston at the time of the big theft there the year before. Although never charged in connection with that crime, he was fired after failing a lie detector test there as well. By Thursday of that week, a task force of law enforcement agencies was formed to break the case, now being called, quote, the largest heist in American history. The dollar amount ever shifting throughout the reporting was now said to be $3.9 million. Authorities all seem to agree that the amount of money stolen would have weighed more than 700 pounds and was in small, untraceable bills. It was also revealed that an informant had tipped off investigators weeks before the Purillator theft that a major robbery was in the works and pointed to the men now the prime suspects. Several possible locations of the robbery, which did not include the Purillator site on West Huron, were staked out on the first two Sundays of the month without success. Police Commander Victor Verdoliak said the robbery could have been much bigger as there remained $21 million in the scorched vault. Verdoliak was quoted as saying, They got away with as much as they could in the time they had. As for where all that money went, one theory that made the rounds initially was it may have been flown out of town. One suspect in the case, Charles Marzano, was reportedly a pilot, and according to the story in the Chicago Tribune, Quote, a number of top Chicago hoodlums have access to or own planes, investigators said. End quote. I do love the word hoodlums. The Sunday after the theft, security guard Ralph Marrera became the first to be arrested in connection with the heist. As the obvious inside man, there was concern that he might be a target for those eager to keep him quiet or for those looking to rip him off. 
When federal marshals were asked by the press where Marrero was being held, they reportedly responded that he was, quote, under tight security at a military installation near Chicago, end quote. Uh, Ralph Marrero was actually being held at the Winnebago County Jail in Rockford, about 90 miles northwest of Chicago. While at Winnebago County Jail, a distraught Marrero tried to hang himself. He was later transferred to Cermak Hospital at Cook County Jail back in Chicago, where he was given sedatives. He later slipped into a coma and was brought to intensive care. Originally, many thought he might have been poisoned, but he was under police guard. More on Marrera in a bit. A few new names were added to the list of suspects, including James Jimmy the Greek Maniatis, 58, of 110th place in South Suburban Worth, Illinois, who was arrested at his apartment and questioned by FBI agents for two hours. Sidebar, I've mentioned before that newspapers used to print the exact address of people, which I find bonkers. Not a basic, the 7200 block of West 110th place kind of thing. No, they would write it as 7235 West 110th place worth. Kind of like the original doxing. Now, I realize that I just did the same thing here, but as Jimmy the Greek would be, as of this writing, 105 years old, if he is still with us, I, I doubt he still lives there. I mentioned earlier that the FBI was looking for a 1974 green Ford Econoline van. It would later be revealed to have been procured by Jimmy the Greek Maniatis, with scrapings of red paint reportedly found in the van that matched paint from the vault lockers that held the stolen money at Pure Later. Within two weeks of the robbery, six men were arrested for the heist, including the aforementioned names, as well as William Marzano, 31 of Berwyn, who turned himself in 11 days after the theft. The most dramatic arrests happened not in the Chicago area, but in the West British Indies on Grand Cayman Island. Charles Marzano, 42, of Cicero and cousin to William Marzano, and Luigi DeFonso, 27, were nabbed by British authorities acting on tips from FBI agents. The two men had been staying at a Holiday Inn since October 22nd, two days after the heist, paying for everything, including small expenses, with $100 bills. Marzano had rented a safe deposit box at the hotel and berated an employee who opened the box for him when the men checked out of the hotel. The box was overflowing with $100 bills. Marzano and DeFonso were arrested at the Grand Cayman Airport while waiting for a flight to Costa Rica. They were carrying $26,000, believed to be part of the cash from the heist. Authorities admitted that had the men made it to Costa Rica, extraditing them back to the U.S. to stand trial would have been difficult. They were nabbed, by the way, 10 minutes before the flight departed. One of the men in custody, 47-year-old Peter Gushi, had already admitted to taking part in the crime and, facing a long prison sentence, implicated the others. Confident they had all the perpetrators in custody, authorities laid out the course of events leading up to the robbery and the time up until the criminals' arrests.
Security guard Ralph Marrera got the job as a security guard at the Perilator Vault in September of 1973, more than a year before the heist. After passing a polygraph test, with access to the offices, he was able to find the combination to the safe written on a piece of paper that was carelessly left out. The night of the theft, Marrera let the other thieves in and Charles Marzano called, quote, an expert at silencing alarm systems and, quote, did that very thing on the main vault door. Once the vault was opened, Marzano circumvented two other alarms inside the vault. Although the thieves knew they had up to three hours before anyone would show up, the actual crime took less than a half an hour. The thieves loaded the Ford Econoline van with 1,000 pounds of cash, later found to be $4.3 million worth. From there, cash was divided up, with part of it being loaded into Luigi DeFonso's 1973 Blue Lincoln Continental Mark IV. That must have been a sweet ride. Before DeFonso, Charles Marzano, William Marzano, and Peter Gushy drove to Port Columbus Airport in Columbus, Ohio, where the men chartered a plane at a fee of $3,500. Destination, Grand Cayman Island. After a stop in Miami where they unsuccessfully tried to charter a boat, Charles Marzano and Luigi DeFonso, and no, I never get tired of saying those names, continued on in another chartered plane with Gucci and William Marzano returning to Chicago. Oh, I almost forgot to mention, to cover their tracks, eight plastic bags of gasoline with chemical fuses were set in the vault, but only five ignited. The remaining stacks of bills, totaling $21 million, were so tightly compressed they did not ignite. On Grand Cayman Island, a man believed to be DeFonzo arrived carrying a briefcase and two large suitcases, quote, so heavy, each required two men to lift them. Customs officials ordered the cases opened and found them crammed with U.S. currency, all of which was then just returned to the man thought to be DeFonzo. On November 21, 1974, FBI agents executed a search warrant at 2045 North Natchez Avenue at a home owned by the grandmother of security guard Ralph Marrera. In the basement, they found a patch of freshly poured cement. Digging it up, they uncovered 1.4 million dollars in five green military duffel bags in a five-foot-deep hole. The bills were later identified as being from the Purolator theft. Three members of the six-member gang pleaded guilty. Marrera's trial was postponed due to ongoing medical issues. He was later deemed mentally unfit to stand trial and was sent to a nursing home. In the trial of Charles Marzano and Luigi DeFonzo, key witness for the prosecution, Peter Gushy, quote, perspiring heavily and speaking in a low mumble, end quote, told the court the men expected the theft to net between $300,000 and $500,000 and were surprised by the amount with which they made off. In May of 1975, Charles Marzano, described by prosecutors as the mastermind of the heist, was convicted of the purulator crime and later sentenced to the maximum sentence of 20 years. In true Chicago fashion, Luigi DeFonzo, the guy found on Grand Cayman with millions of dollars in heavy suitcases, was acquitted by the same jury that convicted Marzano. The jury believed DeFonzo when he claimed he didn't know 
that the $2 million he took to the West Indies was stolen. The book Chicago Heist, written by Chicago Tribune reporters John O'Brien and Edward Bauman about the Purillator incident, was released in 1981 to favorable reviews. One of my favorite review headlines reads, quote, Mood of sinisterness and degeneracy fitting for biggest heist in history. End quote. Of course, by then, the Purillator heist was not the biggest in history, not even the biggest in the U.S. The Lufthansa heist at JFK Airport in New York in December of 1978, in which $5 million in cash and $875,000 in jewelry was stolen, topped Chicago's Purillator robbery. The money and jewelry from the heist was never recovered. If this sounds familiar, it was a key plot element in the 1990 film Goodfellas. The August 1976 Nice-France heist, during which robbers welded the vault door shut from the inside after accessing the vault through an elaborate series of tunnels, netted some $10 million in currency and valuables. Security guard-turned-coma patient Ralph Marrera, seemingly recovered from his ongoing medical issues, wandered off from his Chicago nursing home in 1980, disappearing for 14 months. He was later seized by federal agents in February of 1982 outside the court in Maywood, Illinois, where he was to answer charges of robbing a store in suburban Forest Park, Illinois. One twist... He was going by the name Albert Santangeli, a story he stuck with even after fingerprints showed his true identity. In 1983, nearly nine years after the heist, a sobbing Ralph Marrera, now 37, was ordered held without bond. He was later sentenced to a 20-year term. With time served, he was out in six years, leaving prison in 1989. Sixteen years after the Purillator vault heist, a $650,000 payout for a malpractice claim was awarded to Ralph Marrera in December of 1990. The claim was filed by Marrera after he was released from federal prison the year before. The malpractice allegations stem from two indications given to Marrera to sedate him. His lawyer claimed the effects of the drugs on Marrera's weakened condition, combined with a hospital room well above 70 degrees, caused Marrera to have seizures and suffer brain damage. The brain damage caused slurred speech and difficulty walking. Luigi DeFonso, the guy acquitted after claiming he didn't know that the $2 million he took to the West Indies was stolen, moved to Orange County in California and set up a company called DFJ Italia. DeFonso and his company were later charged with bilking 700 investors out of $40 plus million in an elaborate Ponzi scheme. In August of 2000, just hours after a judge awarded legal possession of his $5 million Laguna Niguel home to the trustee overseeing his company's bankruptcy, 52-year-old DeFonso, who had also recently been diagnosed with kidney cancer, took a fatal dose of meds. His death was later ruled a suicide. Of course, in a story with this many different angles, it should be no surprise that a few months after the apparent suicide of Luigi DeFonso in 2000, it was announced that a movie about the purillator theft, based on the book Chicago Heist, was in the works. 
While Joe Mantegna and Ray Liotta were set to star, it does not appear the film made it past the planning stages. The Purelater building on Huron is long gone. That address is currently the home of the Godfrey, a boutique hotel just a few blocks from Michigan Avenue's Magnificent Mile. There is an estimated $1.2 million from the Purelater heist that has never been recovered. Listening to today's episode about the great Purelater heist of 1974. This episode was written, recorded, and edited by me, Tommy Henry. If you have a moment, please rate and review the podcast wherever you listen and tell a friend about it. It helps us reach new fans of Chicago history. As always, if you have any questions about anything covered today, anything to add, or have an idea for a future episode, I'd love to hear about it. Send me an email at chicagohistorypod at gmail.com. I have links to various books related to this episode's subject. If you'd like to learn more, anything ordered through those links, not just the items listed, may earn a small commission for the podcast and help offset production costs at no extra cost to you. Check out the Chicago History Podcast Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram pages for articles and pictures related to this episode and past episodes posted throughout the week. The original art for the Chicago History Podcast used on the social media pages was created by John K. Schneider. Sincerely, thanks, Johnny. He can be found at AngelEyesArtJKS on Instagram or via email at AngelEyesArtJKS at gmail.com. I will be back soon with more stories from Chicago's history. Until then, get out and explore when possible. Learn more about whatever city you live in and stay safe.